You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Welcome to this sanctuary, this opportunity for us to focus on what Christmas is all about. Welcome to you as well if you're joining us on Zoom. I've got a bunch of people who couldn't be here in the building but are joining online, so great to have you all with us. If I haven't met you before, my name's Jonathan, I'm the pastor here at this church, and I've got one big idea to share with you tonight, just one simple idea. And uh, it's an idea that I came across, first of all, in the writings of John and Julie Gottman. I don't know if you've come across them. They're kind of marriage gurus, not Christians, but just if, if you want to understand how to make a marriage flourish well, then just go to their website, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. Um, John and Julie Gottman, both doctors and both... Um, Uh, understand at a very deep level how to enable marriages to flourish and conversely what it is that really can destroy marriages and how to avoid falling into those those traps and I came across this idea from them I don't know if it's original to them but they talk about this idea that uh, human beings make bids for connection with with one another they call them bids for connection And this um, really begins from the very day you're born. You, as an infant, make a bid for connection, normally with your mum, and normally just for stuff that you want, okay? This is its very basic, very uh, primitive bid for connection that babies make. They want food, they want skin-to-skin contact, they want warmth. Basically, this this is my theory, this is not theirs. My theory is, Infants just want to get back in the womb, all right? That's, that's, the, that's their goal in life, just to get back in where it was warm and safe. You know, it was like year-round 36 degrees, like a balmy 36 degrees, very humid, but you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't even have to breathe, and they would just pipe food straight into your tummy. It was like the best holiday you could ever be on, and you were there for nine months thinking it, you know, life was just perfect, and then it all goes downhill. And when you are delivered, suddenly you're motivated to have that connection, particularly with, your, with, with, with the woman that birthed you. So you make these bids for connection for babies. It's not very sophisticated. It's crying. That's, that's their one card that they can play. They want connection and they'll cry. And then it sort of progressively comes more sophisticated as you grow up and and your web of relationships becomes more sophisticated so that as a toddler, you'll know if you've you've got... Have we got any... We don't really have any toddlers here tonight. Okay. Toddlers will spend half of their life doing what? Right? Is this the pose that you think of when you think of your toddler? This, this, that is a bid for connection. I want to be picked up. I want to be cuddled. I want to, I, it's, again, it's just a little, like, a step removed from the desire to get back in the womb. They've come to terms with the fact that they're not getting back in there, but they still want to be close. They want to be right there with, with mum or with dad by this point. And it gets progressively more sophisticated. In school, in school years, you will start to develop um, more complex relationships, and so your bids for connection will become more complicated as well. For example, some point in primary school, you will start to feel like you might want to connect with 
people of the opposite sex. And this, is, this, this becomes a whole another level of sophistication because, all right, this is my experience and I think everyone in the room has a similar one. You, that girl is someone you would like to connect with at some, at some level. So you get your best friend to go to her best friend and it's like, it's like sending a little delegation, all right, from one country to another. You gotta send them out there and just find out, are we, uh, is this reciprocal, you know? Does your best, does, hang on, does your best friend like my best friend, all right? That's, that's kind of how it goes, right? India? It's how it's, is that how it's going for you? No. It's, I mean, it's not because India knows that she is to make no bids for connection until she's 18 years old. And that's the rule. Yeah, so she's got seven years to go. Um, <laughs> everyone just felt really sorry for her, right? That was a joke, everybody. <laughs> 17. So the, this is what happens. We, we become more and more sophisticated in these, making these bids for connection. As a 41-year-old man, I mean, my, the level of sophistication involved in me making a connection with another human being, like to be a friend, this is like next level. Most of us never understand or master it. The, the, like the dance that needs to be done in order for me to go out and find someone to be my buddy. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the likelihood that I'll give up before it happens is strong. Um, the, you know, the, old, the old joke is that the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was being a 30-something-year-old man with 12 friends, right? This is, this is a, a miracle. I think Bluey did a good episode on this, right? The, the, the dad dog and, you know, meets another dad dog at the park and there's this whole kind of, you know, complicated web of stuff and that needs to happen in order for us to become friends. If you're a man, it's complicated by the fact that you can't just go and have a coffee with another man. That's not allowed. I know it's allowed for women. It's not allowed for us. We've got to play golf or something. Like, you've got to be doing something to distract you from the fact that you're kind of dating each other in a way, like trying to figure out if you could be, could be buddies. And then when you're done with golf, it's like, what? You like fishing? Like, you've got, to, you've, got, you've got a limited amount of things that you can do to actually connect. Obviously, the most sophisticated is, is marriage. And in marriage, it gets, uh, it, it gets tricky because the longer you're married, the more kind of mysterious these bids for connection become. Like, like when, when you're first courting someone, you're very clear with these bids for connection. When you're some way down the line in your marriage, a bid for con connection can be me standing at the sink with a, like a whole load of di dirty dishes to do and just going, <sighs> that's a bid for connection. That's not just like a sigh of exasperation that it's the end of the day and I'm tired and I've got all these dishes to, do, dishes to do. That is me saying to my wife, notice me. I am tired. I have lots of dishes to do. Come and help me do the dishes. Right? All in one sigh. And, and here's where the stakes are raised because the Gottmans did this big study on newlyweds and they, and they studied them for six years. 
from, from newlywed through to six years into their marriage, and they studied them specifically around these bids for connection. And they found that the couples six years into their marriage who were doing well, who were flourishing, were responding to bids for connection 86% of the time. So one couple, one, one, one of the um, one spouse will make this bid for connection, whether it's a sigh at the dishes or it's a kind of wink and a nod and a you know, hand on the, the thigh or it's a, you know, an avert, ask me how my day went, it sucked, right? No matter, like, the, these, these bids for connection are multiplicitous, but the point is that couples that were doing well were responding to them, turning towards the bid for connection, and the couples that were on the rocks or already divorced six years in were responding 33% of the time. All right, so one out of three they would respond positively to. The other two they would ignore or they would, whatever, they would push away. And this is how relationships flourish, turning towards the person who is making a bid to connect with us. Now here's my one big idea. I got this from my former boss, Mark Leach, is an Anglican minister. He's, he, he said, Christmas is history's biggest bid for connection. That's what's going on at Christmas. It is the world's biggest, most miraculous bid for connection. It's God's bid for connection with people. That's what's going on on December 25th. That's what's going on in God becoming Man, this is God's heartbeat on display for us. He wants to connect with us. So we saw this, right? Like God, because he's this way, God, because he wants connection, from the very beginning at creation, he creates a group of people distinct from everything else he has made. And he makes them in his image, in his likeness, so that he can have meaningful connection with them. That's the whole point of creating humanity. He wants connection with his creatures, and so he gives us the ability to connect. But here's the thing about bids for connection. They're dangerous. Dangerous to the one who's making them, right? Because every time you make a bid for connection, whether it's with a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, co-worker, guy on the street, lady at the checkout, like no matter who it is that you make a bid for connection with, you are instantly making yourself vulnerable. Because they have a choice. They have a a choice either to turn towards you or turn away from you. God creates us for connection. And we heard in India's reading in Genesis 3 that it wasn't long before we turned away from connection with God. We wanted to keep connection with one another as fraught as that is and as tumultuous as that is and as sometimes as devastating as that is, but we didn't want connection with God. 
And then God, because he, he, he's kind of like, the, his heartbeat is for connection, he doesn't just wipe the slate clean and start again and make us so that we can't reject him, but he pursues and pursues. Second reading, Genesis 22, I think it was, God coming to Abraham and saying, you're going to be my people. From you, I'm going to have this people made for connection with me. You're going to be vast and you're going to bless the world because you're going to be connected to me. And so then when you connect with the world, they'll be blessed. And this is how we're going to bless the world together. That's God speaking to Abraham and to the people of Israel. But the tragedy of the Old Testament, if you want to read like a Shakespearean style tragedy, read the Old Testament. It's the tragedy of God seeking connection with people so that he can bless them and then turning away from him. And I reckon probably the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites, they're probably hitting about divorce numbers. They're probably hitting about 33%. Maybe one, one out of three times when God puts himself out there and asks them to connect with him, they respond and say, yeah, right, yeah, well, we, we get it. We're, like, we've been wrong. We, we, we're sorry. We want to be with you, Lord. We want to be your people. And, and two out of three times, they just snub God altogether and do their own thing. They're hitting divorce numbers. Christmas is God's massive bid for connection with us in spite of the fact that it makes him vulnerable. Think about it, right? Every time, and particularly if you're in a, in a marriage that's on the rocks, this is where it becomes really, really, really hard. Because every single time you make a bid for connection with your husband or wife, you are making yourself incredibly vulnerable. And there's only so long you can be that vulnerable before you give up. There's only so many times you can be rebuffed. But you can, break, you can take this all the way down to the conversation with the, the cashier, right? What if you say to her when she says, how are you? What if you say, good thanks, how are you today? And she just keeps putting this stuff through. I mean, that's a rejection, isn't it? Every bid for connection can be answered with rejection. So God does this at Christmas. And if you think about it, the big theme, like one of the big themes of Christmas is vulnerability. The whole Christmas story is full of vulnerability. Virgin, teenage, mum, political situation, tumultuous, King wanting to kill kids when he finds out that Jesus has been born. And ultimately, like the most vulnerable character in the whole gospel story is Jesus, right? He's the baby. He's born in the shed. He is God deciding to put his life in the hands of people he created. Let that sink in. Massive act of vulnerability for the sake of connection. This is how the 
the, Paul in, in Philippians chapter 2, here's how he describes Jesus at Christmas and then what happens subsequently. He says, we should adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Amen? Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. That's the baby in the manger. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's Christmas and Easter, and it's shot through with vulnerability, and it's all for the sake of connection. This is God's miraculous, earth-shattering, cosmic, cataclysmic bid for connection. It's him leaning into us to tell us, I love you. Like he's leaning in to the wife who has rejected him a thousand times before and rebuffed his advances a thousand times before. And he's leaning in and saying, you know, I still love you. That's Christmas. problem for so many of our relationships, like marriage, friendship, whatever, the problem, like parent to child relationships, the problem is so often we don't know if we're loved or not. We don't know. There's some insecurity there. I remember a friend of mine telling me of her parents that that, that, that her mum would say to her, to, to her dad, you know, you never tell me that you love me. And his response was, well, I'm not kicking you out of bed to find someone else. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. That's probably not good enough to reassure her that you do in fact love her. The absence of kicking her out of bed. Like there might need to be some, some positive reinforcement. My one big point is this. Christmas is God putting it like putting it at the center of human history, literally. Putting it at the center of human history and writing it across our culture for the last 2,000 years. I love you. Christmas is God putting it beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves us. How do we know that God loves us? This is what one of Jesus' best friends, John, in his, his first letter to, um, to the church, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. How does God love us? God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. He says Christmas is the reason. That's how we know 
that God loves us. He sent his one and only son into the world. And then he, he, he puts it a different way in his gospel. In chapter 3, you know these words. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Christmas is not about condemnation. God did not send his son into the world. God did not have his son born into human history to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christmas is history's biggest bid for connection. Now, what are you doing here? How are you going to respond? If this is God laying himself bare and saying, you know, I love you, how are you you going to respond? This is the scandal of the whole enterprise. You can hear that. You can see that. And you can say, not for me. You can rebuff the loving approach of the God who made you and died for you and loves you to this day. Some of us have done that. Some of us have done that plenty of times. Well, this, this, is, this is the thing, right? Christmas is your best ever opportunity to come back to God. It's your best ever opportunity to receive his love, to see him making himself vulnerable in extending a, a hand of friendship to you and to take it. to accept every gift he's got to give you. That's what I'm hoping you'll do if you're here tonight and you've been rebuffing his love, his advances. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute and I'd like you, if that's you, to really consider whether this is true, that Christmas itself is the greatest act of Love the greatest bid for connection that there's ever been. And then you know there's probably the majority of us who enjoy fellowship with God. We count ourselves as adopted members of his household. The reason we're here is because we love to worship him. And even then, you know, I doubt whether we're at 86%. I doubt whether we are seeing, hearing, receiving eight, nine out of ten advances that God makes towards us. God is constantly making advances. He's constantly making bids for connection. Christmas was this earth-shattering one that we remember every year, but all through the day, man, he's making, he's making advances. He's doing it by his spirit with inner promptings. He's doing it through his word in the Bible. He's doing it through his world. He's constantly wanting to connect. I doubt whether we're hitting 86%, right? 
And so my prayer for you guys is just we come into 2023 kind of switched on to seeing where he is wanting connection and rather than turning away, turning towards. I believe that would, the, the kind of life that sees every advance from God and turns towards it would be the most wonderful life we could lead. Be like Christmas every day without the chaos. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to pray. And I've just got those two groups of people in my mind. And you probably fit somewhere on that spectrum. I'm going to pray for you now. And then I'm going to hang around afterwards if you want to talk more about anything we have heard, sung, or anything I've said. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Christmas. We thank you that you are a God of love. That your very heartbeat is for us. I mean, even us. Yeah, we reject you and rebuff your advances, and yet you keep pursuing us. I thank you for your love. And for those of us who are here tonight who have long since turned away from you, Lord, please move in their hearts now to be able to receive your love and turn towards you. And for those of us here who love you and just want more of you, please train us in this coming year to turn towards you at every opportunity, every day all of life, all about Jesus. And I pray these things in his good name. Amen.